Well, I'm happy to be here. Say that much. Yeah, no, I really appreciate you making some time for us. I know it's the weekend uh, morning for you, or early afternoon, I guess. I don't know what time zone you're in. Um, that's classified, but yeah, made, yeah it's uh, the made-up time zone. <laughs> I'm in Central Cowboy Dan time. There I'm you in, go. I'm, in, I'm on Greenwich time. <laughs> yeah. I'm literally on Zulu time all the time. I'm literally always on the international space time zone. <laughs> All right, do we want to do a Kick this uh, off? hard start here? Yeah, we'll uh, timestamp six minutes in. Uh, hey, man, you want to kick us off? Yeah. All right, welcome back, y'all. This is uh, Hitman coming at you with a new episode, and uh, this is a special one today. We've got Cowboy Dan. Good to be here, everybody. Cowboy Dan, you want to say hi to the fans? What's going on, everyone? Missed you guys. He's back. He He's is back. back. One of our uh, highest-performing episodes. Oh, yeah. was him talking about uh, Prigozhin's assassination. We bring him on for uh, really big current events, and this is yep. definitely one of those weeks. Um, Cowboy Dan, you haven't been able to listen. We haven't published yet, but our episode from last week we recorded a week ago today, uh, right as kind of everything was starting to kick off. And as we were recording, it was kind of news reports were starting to trickle in about uh, Israelis being killed in, uh, in Israel by Hamas. And really at that time, we had no idea the scale that this thing would would go to, sure. um, and that's why we decided to kind of do uh, really just a little bit more of a serious episode to to get some of the, the facts and uh, a little bit more of the details of what to expect over the coming uh, days to weeks. Um, since you know we're all geopolitical experts and we can predict these things, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we do our best. <laughs> one thing I'm known for it's my assessment. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, I am you are. Highly confident that I will be incorrect. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I'm yeah. Not. I think it's important to talk about, and I think right now, um, as as you guys are, are certainly spun up on as I am, the amount of disinformation and about the amount of political politicization mm. that has happened on this yes. topic already is pretty disheartening. Yep. So hopefully we can um, try to lay out things as, as truthfully as we see them and using the sources that we know of. Yep. Yeah. And, and I'll just say, like, and Hitman knows this because he and I were talking throughout the week, but uh, this has just been one of the, for me personally, one of the hardest, uh, you know, kind of, kind of human tragedies to witness. Um, I mean, the death, the death toll aside, we're looking at, I think, 1,300 uh, Israelis killed by uh, Hamas from both, you know, on the ground and rocket fire. But just, I think what's been so disheartening for me and has made this really hard as the, frankly, the worldwide celebration uh, in a lot of yeah. communities. Uh, and it's, I, I don't understand it. Um, I mean, I know we've discussed how, you know, human life has been de so devalued in our society, but I don't get how you look at this and celebrate. Uh, it's, it's one thing to say Hamas has a, uh, or not Hamas, I'm sorry, Palestine, the Palestinian people, you know, have this uh, desire for their own state and sovereignty and all that. Uh, you can separate that. You can hold that separate from celebrating the uh, brutal killings of 1,300 people. Yeah, yeah and I think yep. the, uh, the other point that's been made well by some, but, you know, the normalization talks that were ongoing between Israel and Saudi Arabia, those were Palestine's best at being a legitimate power in the play that could um, give them the ability, essentially, to um, get their own state. And so Hamas, 
coming in and undermining the Palestinian Authority, um, you know, who is generally the, the ruling faction under Fatah, yep. uh, it's, it's unfortunate. And, and like you said, um, Maverick, it's coming at the loss of uh, thousands and probably going to tens of thousands of lives. Yeah, they're, uh, that 1,300 was just Israelis. I think the count coming out of Gaza is 17 to 1,900 uh, killed by Israeli airstrikes so far. And as you said, it's it's only going to get worse from here. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. Um, it's an interesting point you raised about uh, Saudi Arabia and Israel, um, and just the timing of all this. A lot of people are just asking why. Uh, do you have any thoughts on on you know was it a timing related thing? Was Hamas just trying to kill Israelis, or is there a larger uh, picture here that people aren't seeing? So I think two things. Um, some of some of the skepticism, you know, kind of raises this as like a, you know, everything's connected sort of thing. And, right. You know, there's all sorts of question and opinions on how much involvement Iran had in the in the timing of this. But one thing is for sure is that Hamas came out and stated in 2021, like, hey, we will launch a major ground operation. We will have a major attack on Israel in the coming years. Most people chalk that up to rhetoric. But from the maps recovered on some of their operatives, we know that this was a very thoroughly planned operation. Right. The, the second part of this that I think that U.S. media is not hitting on is that this is also an inter-Palestinian uh, yep. power game. You know, um, the, the, most of the Palestinian state, especially those in the West Bank, are ruled under the Palestinian Authority. Right. The ruling party is Fatah. And so Hamas, coming in and and running you know their own single-handed operation to essentially undermine everything to me um shows that number one they want to try to bring some power back into their own hands ahead of fatah uh undermine the palestinian authority and secondarily try to disrupt any efforts between israel and saudi arabia many palestinians think that the other arab states have long since abandoned them as much as any of these states want to come out and say, like, oh, we support Palestine. I mean, the, the Abraham Accords are chalked up almost always whenever you look at most pro-Palestinian media um, as a disservice to the Palestinian cause. So I, I do think that, that Hamas is smart enough to try to find uh, a way to wedge between Israel, the U.S., and, and Saudi Arabia. But I also think that what's bigger at play is their desire to try to upend anything Fatah had going on. So you think that there's a, a, a large part of this where Hamas is uh, almost, you know, the joker just wanting to watch the world burn uh, to discredit the more legitimate Palestinian authority, the Fatah? I think so. And, and whenever we look at Iran's involvement, we know that Iran historically has not gotten along with the Palestinian authority. Neither has Hezbollah. So it's not like it's not like they didn't have support to go in there and, and cause a disruption, which, as both of you know and have worked probably even more than I have in the past, um, you look at Iran's Quds Force and, and Hezbollah under leader Nasrallah, yep. anything that can disrupt Israeli peace or Israeli um, you know, goals is going to be a plus for them. Right, right. And that's, uh, you know, we were having that conversation and unfortunately he wasn't able to join us. Uh, but the other guy who was going to you know, step in today as well, um, you know, it's not really Iran's goal and it's not really 
you know, in our perception, uh, United States' goal or Israel's goal to have an all-out uh, large-scale Middle Eastern war between state-level mm. powers. Do you agree with that? I would. Hitman, what do you think? I mean, the, the thing that I'm kind of caught up on is, you know, you look at insurgencies in Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, Vietnam, whatever. The way they're walled off with such limited power, limited resources, limited manpower, it's like, you're not going to win. Like, you look at the Viet Cong, the Taliban, right. like, whatever, ISIS, like, capable fighting force, but freedom movement, like, Israel will never concede yeah. anything. Like, you're not going to win. No, I, I agree with that. Because um, you're right, they don't have, you know, freedom of maneuver like other insurgencies have had. Uh, and relatively, you know, geographically speaking, just a, a small area of land to operate from. I think, uh, sadly, as I kind of alluded to earlier, there's a there's a lot of international support, um, and Israel's going to have to play it carefully to avoid losing some of the sympathy that they've gained, um, yeah. you know, as a result yeah. of these these killings. And uh, indiscriminate airstrikes not going to really help uh, their yeah. cause, but. What what choice do they have, right? They've got a yeah. enemy at the gates, literally, that they have to neutralize. Yeah, I think that'll be the There's most indiscriminate thing. Go ahead, Hitman. Uh, yeah, I was saying I don't discriminate as we think. I mean, classic, you know, insurgent style. They're stockpiling weapons, manpower, in civilian infrastructure, with the cause to oh, you know, this school or this hospital. It's like, well, you are. It's a legitimate military target because you used it to store, you know, mortars <laughs> or men or it just made it, it, it's, yeah. it's a PR thing, right? Like it's an IO campaign. Yep. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I, I think uh, not only you know are these targets legitimate, but this is Israel's not Israel's first rodeo when it comes to a um, urban combat environment against an entrenched adversary. I mean, they've mm. gotten. They've they've taken some licks in Lebanon and in Gaza before, and, and yeah. certainly in the West Bank. So, you know, it's going to be an all-out offensive. Looking at some of the numbers and some of the unclassified media, you know, they've mobilized over three hundred thousand reservists, the largest call-up ever in Israel's history. Yeah. Um, and you know, most of their they've, they're splitting their active-duty land brigades between north and south, north to defend against Lebanon or uh, Lebanese Hezbollahs possible offensive south i'd like to hear y'all's thoughts on that but yeah mm. you know as they as they prepare to move into gaza city which preliminary reports have happening sometimes sunday or monday um it will be interesting to see if they try to take a more measured response to actually meet their goals of eliminating key hamas logistics and leadership um nodes or if they you know repeat some of the same mistakes of sit and squat like they did in Lebanon um, yeah. in, in, in the 90s and early thousands. I mean, those those tactics and the losses there are what ultimately turned the Israeli public against some of the operations in Lebanon. And I know that that's got to be fresh on the minds of senior IDF leaders. They've certainly got the public and the international community behind them now. But we can't lose the, the spot there, Maverick, that um, they have lost international support before on their ground operations because of kind of how flippant they can be. So I, I'll, I'll be interested to see, because I think that's on the mind of a lot of their... Yeah, and, and the tough they're in a tough position, because you're absolutely right. That's They're aware of the optics of this thing, 
they're also aware that the you know to hitman's point it is an active io campaign going on to you know win the, the hearts and minds of the international community more than anything uh to make sure that they stay on their side uh but it's gonna be a tough you know going into an urban environment you're always going to have collateral damage that's what's going on right now uh and and hitman thanks for correcting me that that term indiscriminate airstrikes that probably was not the right term to use uh they are they are doing targeting they're running a targeting cycle uh just like we would do um but you're dropping 500 to 2000 pound yeah. weapons into an urban environment there's going to be collateral damage that's just the, yeah. the harsh reality of war um and it really and it really speaks to the cowardice of Hamas to be launching attacks for, from inside the uh, the civilian population. Yeah, I think the Israelis still are being good about using the uh, what is it called the roof knock tactic. Yep. Yep. So the, the videos, at least I've seen, looks like they are employing that. So it's like, yes, they are destroying civilian infrastructure. Yes, civilians are dying, and honestly, it's it's both their fault. Like. The Israelis ultimately are dropping the weapons, but Hamas is ultimately responsible for even starting this whole shit off. That's right. So it's like you got to feel for the for the Palestinians who are not pro Hamas and who just want to like live and just be free <laughs> and go go about their day. Right. And they're being just stuck in this fucking like they're just a rock in a hard place. It sucks. I'd be interested to kind of hear. You know, <clears throat> Israel has a lot of goals in this. It's really two questions, and I got into kind of a spirited debate with another guy the other day of, you know, the first question is, one, what does success look like? And two, whenever, you know, Prime Minister Netanyahu says, we're going to eliminate Hamas, yeah. is that possible? So I, that's kind of like the two questions that are leading on my mind. Um, you know, and, and to, to your point, Hitman, like, this is going to come at the loss of not only thousands more Palestinian civilians, but probably several hundred thousand more Israelis. Yes. Um, you know, the Israel has tried to kill Mohammed Dev, uh, the uh, Hamas military wing commander for, I think, like 25 years. Yep. And have yet to be able to do so. I'm sure that's a, that is a key objective. Um, but I'm curious what you guys think on, you know, one, what, is, what should Israel's goal be? And two, can they actually eliminate Hamas? Uh, that's, I mean, that's two tough questions. So yeah, I appreciate you, uh, just lobbing those over here <laughs> <laughs> you know, to so solve some world problems. Go ahead and solve that one for us, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, man, that's, you know, they'll, they'll definitely have better access in terms of, of taking out, you know, not just, uh, the military wing commander, but also just senior Hamas leadership in general, um, across their, their various elements. Just being inside Gaza and having troops there on the ground, they'll have better access. Um, but it's going to be, I mean, it is going to be tough. Uh, to your point, their, their targeted killing program has uh, not always been uh, marked with success. You know, they've got some, some big wins, but they've also got some, some pretty serious losses as well there. Um, and so I don't know that they're going to be able to pull off that, uh, especially for somebody who's evaded them for so long. Uh, for decades and now knows that he is target number one. Um, this is the time for him to, to go deep underground and, you know, hide as far as Israel's goals, man, I have no idea. Uh, truthfully, Hitman, do you have anything on that? Yeah. I, I don't know. I think probably the objective now is inflict as much damage militarily on Hamas as possible, at least to buy time 
so something like this doesn't happen again. Because you, you, I mean, we've joked about it before, but you know, insurgencies and terrorist groups, you're playing whack-a-mole. Yep. Right. You kill one senior leader, another one pops up. It's the same shit that happened with ISIS, Taliban, whatever. You kill one, you know, red cell leader, one, you know, ID maker, new guy pops up. So I think probably the objective is of Israel right now is a, a ground offensive sweep to basically just kill. It, it, it's it's search and destroy, like yeah. all of Vietnam, right? Like search and destroy, find the stockpiles, find the fighters, mm-hmm. you know, burn, shoot, destroy. And then inflict as much damage as possible and then kind of just fall back, I guess. I mean, <laughs> it didn't work very well for us in Vietnam, but I mean, what else can they do other than, you know, classic search and destroy? Like, find the targets, go in there, destroy it, you know, burn yeah. the stockpiles, you know, you know, destroy the weapons, kill the fighters, all that kind of stuff. But I mean, beyond that, what, what, what can you do? You can't kill an ideology. Right. No, you that's can't right. kill an idea. So I think ultimately, I- maybe the best koa here for israel is like hey the palestinian people like whether they support hamas or they don't like i guarantee you there's some who are like middle of the road like well you know hamas maybe isn't so bad but i wish they wouldn't you know do shit that gets my fucking house bombed and my entire apartment building (laughs) collapsed yeah so maybe like there is a local home front movement sponsored by israel to be like hey here's an alternative to this extremist organization like we will give you concessions like Hey, we will allow more food, more supplies, more foreign aid to come in here if you, you know, rat out the rat out Hamas, fight against them, or just don't join them. Frankly, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, sorry, real quick, I just I had this conversation earlier this week about just that's the, that is the hard part, right? Because you can't kill an ideology, and you got two over two million people living in Gaza, right? And uh, the over the, the the age demographics make it really hard because as we know, twenty years of experience fighting uh, terrorism, the the real the, the hard part is keeping the young from being radicalized, and nothing will radicalize them faster than seeing the you know the airstrikes, the occupation of their territory, tanks rolling down the street. The sixty five percent of that two million is under the age of twenty four years old. Yeah, I mean it's it is unbelievable how young the population is there. They're prime. I mean, this is the perfect breeding ground for extremism. Well, I I do think uh, both of y'all hit kind of like the key point, which is like you cannot eliminate an ideology. I don't think Israel is, you know, I don't think they they think that they can necessarily do that. One uh, one point I made that again very heated debate I had earlier this week was you know someone essentially said they can't do it, like they can't. They can't run a, a ground sweep on all of Gaza. Gaza itself, I just measured it out, 27 miles long, and its widest part is about nine miles wide. Okay, that's a lot of territory, but it's not. Um, I mean, it's a little bit bigger than like the DC metro area with two million people. Yep. If they committed their, you know, most of their combat power to this, moving through an urban environment, as long as you don't. You do search and destroy, not camp and squat. Um, it's possible to actually run a sweep in that territory and to destroy as much military hardware as you possibly can. The, the issue that I see is can Israel's public um, take substantial military casualties for more than, well, let's say, six months if this drags on that mm. long? 
I think a big yeah, motivator I mean, too that they that they would be willing to stomach it is is the civilian losses initially. Yeah. Now think think of it like 9/11 or Pearl Harbor, right? The the shock of the initial attack and especially with 9/11 like the loss of civilian life I think will help them stomach casualties for longer than just like an unprompted like you know, couple pot shots here and there, a couple mortars. So like, all right, you know, we're just going to do ground versus what we've seen already, which is just wanton slaughter. So I think that's Mm going to build a lot of the fire and a lot of the the, willingness to accept casualties or an extended campaign with the public because of the way Hamas executed that initial uh, attack. I agree. I a hundred percent agree. And the reference to nine 11 is, is spot on. Um, You know, the, with the population density that Israel has, it's the equivalent, you know, people are calling this their 9-11. It's worse than 9-11 because this would be the mm-hmm. equivalent of, I think, 40,000 people being killed in the United States on 9-11 yeah. uh, with the population ratios. And so imagine 9-11, but scale that up by a factor of 20. And now you've got what the impact is to the Israeli population. I mean, they, yeah. they, it's every person in Israel knows somebody who was, was killed or impacted in some way by this. Yep. Another important point, too, is you know, under Prime Minister Netanyahu, they have struggled with some military morale and willingness to fight issues because of a judiciary qualm, which I don't necessarily think we got to go into here. It's important yeah. to remember um, some of my colleagues in the IDF, um, we'll just leave their kind of unit names out of this. Yeah. Um, you know, a few of the dudes that I trained with, they're dead. Their names Damn. were released. Like they got, they got fucking killed in the initial assault Ugh. because they were down near Gaza. And so, yep. talking with some of the rest of their unit, man, they want blood. And let me tell yep. you, these were these were young men that were not happy with Netanyahu's direction. They were not happy with the judiciary claim. So, all of this worry about like, well, you know, are, are they going to have the will to fight? Hitman Maverick, I think I'll hit it. Like, this is their 9/11. Not only that, man. Their most fierce fighters are putting all that political bullshit on the shelf, and they are ready to fight because their their buddies got fucking killed in yeah. this initial assault, yeah. unprovoked. Yeah, yeah, and um, I, I think the danger there is, you know, whenever you are out for out for blood, is uh, it doesn't matter whose blood, and so they're going to be yep. a lot a lot more inclined to pull the trigger than they otherwise might have been. Um, and so I, I do fear. Uh, I'm not going to condemn it, but I do fear that we're going to see a lot of civilian casualties coming out of this. Yeah, and I think you can already see the like, just it's honestly just hatred, just just plain hatred. Like IDF soldiers, already videos coming out of them like pissing, you know, on dead dead bodies of Hamas, like stomping on the bodies on their face. Like it, it, that's just hate, man. Like just pure, unadulterated hate. Well, and I mean, not to, to beat a dead horse here, this is just part of what, is, what has really upset me uh, over the past week is seeing, you know, 9-11, horrific uh, airliners going into buildings, right? But it was indiscriminate. Yeah. This was so deliberate. It, it's a certain type of evil, and, and I'll call it what it is, a uh, certain type of evil to be able to, to execute and torture families and children uh and and infants and so i I cannot put myself uh into the jewish mindset into the israeli mindset of you're already uh, a country functionally surrounded by enemies uh, and always at the ready and always under threat of attack and now this this happens and it just 
cranks that up to 11. Yeah, 100%. Um, I mean, so they're fighting so, for their existence literally from how, how long it, they were 47, invaded? 48. They, they were like a, a year after they were established? Not even a year. Yep. Within like a few months of them actually becoming a state, they got invaded. Yep. And like that's just fucking insane. Like, we do not understand the mindset they have. Yeah. No. Like, you're we've not, got, you know, we've yeah. got two giant oceans, two, two allies to the north and south who are, we're cool with, you know, large territory, large population, dispersed military. Like, we do just do not understand their mindset of like literally fighting for survival. And Absolutely. you know what? I'll say the same thing about the Palestinians too. Like, they are fighting for their survival every day. That's right. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I, I, I'm trying not to get too fired up on this one because <laughs> uh, one one thing we haven't talked about yet uh, is the impact that the hostages might have on this ground offense. What do you guys think about that? There's, I think, about 150 uh, confirmed being held throughout Gaza. I saw I saw some initial news. I don't know if it's credible, but apparently an airstrike killed like 13 hostages. That's, They're going to use yeah. them as human shields. I, I mean, that's just that's just a fair like that is a fair play in a terrorist mind, like easy tactic to use. Yep, that's that's absolutely right. I, I don't know about thirteen. I saw nine, but uh, either way, right? Their hostages are going to die, and even if it's not Israelis killing them as, as collateral damage, uh, Hamas has already promised to start killing uh, hostages, executing hostages uh, if this ground offensive happens. Yeah, I think. Uh... My personal opinion on this is that IDF general staff has probably already made the call that, uh, you know, they they can't stop for hostage. You know, it's a difference. Like, I mean, you guys better than anyone know the difference between, hey, let's plan a hostage rescue at, at X or X, you know, three or four targets. Yep. Versus yep. we're going to run a sweeping ground operation. Yeah. So I think uh, it's unfortunate to say, but I uh, I personally do not think that there is much of a consideration going to be made for these hostages. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be nice to have if you can rescue them, but I, I and I hate to even say this, I just don't think that I think it's going to be essentially you know an ad hoc as able utilize Sakriat Mokhtal, you know all your tier one soft units to go in and get them if you know where they're at. But like I don't think it's going to be this concerted hostage rescue effort that's my personal yeah, opinion. i agree uh, but, you know we're we're running an offensive ground operation not a hostage rescue like that is mm. the mindset of, of idf general staff do you think that there's any uh because not all of these hostages are israeli citizens right there's some international folks mixed in there as well uh, do you think there's going to be any pressure put on the israeli government by outside uh western powers to to, to do more of hostage rescue, uh, and how do you think they'll respond? Oh, and we lost him. Nope, <laughs> he's gone. He's that was dead. that was the question. He's like, nope, not gonna not gonna feel that he's one. He's like, yeah, it's getting too deep. Um, nah, uh, yeah, I think that's an important thing to note too. Like, you know, if you had citizens kidnapped and being held hostage, and another country was like, yeah, we're not really gonna give too much effort to save your citizens like if they die whatever like that's going to cause some intergovernmental problems for yeah. sure and that's that's what i'm worried about um because frankly i i think it's uh, israel's right here to run the operations how they choose 
But I do worry that uh, external governments, potentially even the United States, is going to try to pressure them to uh, focus more on hostage rescue and not military objectives. Mm. Um, at the same time, I mean, the U.S. government over the past how many years hasn't been phenomenal uh, with responding to U.S. deaths abroad. And yep. so I don't know that they're going to change their tune here necessarily and, and do an about face and all of the, Mm. All of a sudden, make it a priority. Yeah. That's yeah, a tough part. I mean, it's a trade off. Like, do you spend the additional time, intelligence, and, you know, IDF troopers' lives to rescue these hostages or, and find them? Or is it just like, well, it's kind of a, kind of a bad return on investment here? But the PR win, yep. like, that would be huge for the IDF. Like, Hey, we care about our allies. Like a lot of the uh, the hostages are Westerners. Yep. Like American, Canadian, English, German. Like they depend on good relations with the West to stay afloat. At the same time, so, uh, not rescuing the hostages isn't going to uh, kill relations with those countries. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But if, but what will kill it is not putting in the effort to at least try to save them. It'll hurt it. I, don't, I mean, it's not like the U.S. is going to sever relations with Israel if they're not able to, no, yeah, if they yeah, don't yeah. even try. Um, but yeah, I agree that it's, it would absolutely hurt uh, relations with, the, uh, with those countries. Yep. Uh, um, so another interesting piece here that we can kind of talk about while we wait for uh, Cowboy Dan to, to rejoin if he's able to. Um, have you seen the reporting about basically Israel knew this was coming? So, yeah, I've seen, I've, so I've seen multiple things where it's like, hey, um, you know, uh, Egypt warned them three days ahead of time. Yep. Um, and like, oh, you know, IDF intelligence, like it, it's just a gargantuan intelligence failure or just didn't acknowledge it. That's good. Sorry. Like, yeah, you know, like we apparently the U.S., you know, had had a heads up that a hey, Pearl Harbor is going to happen. Same thing with 9-11. It's yep. like. Why? I, I don't know. For me, it's like with, with that country and that mindset and that, you know, frame of reference, like why would they not take that intelligence seriously? Yeah. Uh, Cowboy Dan, we got you loud and clear now. Um, the question we're talking through here is uh, whether the Israeli government, their intelligence apparatus uh, had advanced warning of this. And what does that indicate? Um, and really the frame behind that question is I've seen some, again, IO, right? Some, this, is, this is a concentrated PR campaign to discredit the Israelis. Um, but some, some uh, theories, if you want to call them that, hypothesis, that uh, Netanyahu had credible intelligence and did not do anything because he wanted to start a, a campaign against Hamas and needed justification. I don't think that's the case. I'm just saying that that's some of the commentary that I've been seeing on uh, social media and different forums. Yeah, the, the article I wanted to bring up for that, I got Dan. to... Uh, hey, uh, so I'll just, oh, there he is. Okay, yeah. So uh, to that same point, I'm reading a New York Times article right now. CIA reports contain general warnings of potential Gaza flare-up uh, issued day before the Hamas attack. Did not foresee such a deadly strike, but say rocket attacks were possible. So to your point, to your question, I should say, did Netanyahu, did, IDF, did the IDF have some kind of forewarning? I think the answer is yes. But I also don't think that they knew to what extent, and I don't think that they knew 
timing. Yeah. I don't think they knew time or scale. Um, you know, I don't want to be the guy here to make an excuse for Israeli intelligence or Western intelligence for that matter. But uh, I think you kind of have to give a little bit of credit where credit is due. And frankly, the work of the Quds Force, you know, enforcing good OPSEC yep. uh, on, on Hamas's senior leaders that, hey, if you're going to do something, quiet about it. Um, so that's that's my personal opinion. Um, I think only time will tell, though. And, and I tend to agree with you there. Um, and I think because this is just a nuanced thing that for people outside of the intelligence community or the military community, they don't understand. Uh, you don't just get a, a sticky note that says, hey, the attack is going to occur at this time in this place. Do something about it. Uh, to Hitman's point about you know, 9-11, yeah, we did have uh, some level of advanced warning that something was going to happen, something big was in the works. Um, you know, same with Pearl Harbor, right? We had some of these elements. You don't have that full understanding of the picture. This is a, a game of shadows, right? And so for the Israelis who are under constant threat of attack, if the CIA goes to the, uh, the IDF or to the Israeli government and says, you know, chance of rocket attacks happening, they're going to go, cool, another day, right? Uh, we've we've yeah. seen this before. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, don't, I don't hold this as a failure on the Israeli leadership, but I did want to bring that up because I've, I've seen it being discussed. I think you make a good point, too, with, you know, I'm talking about their frame of reference, but also double-edged sword, right? Like, they probably get credible intel every single day. It's like, you know, you guys remember, like, if everything is a priority, then nothing is. Yep. Right. So it's like, you're you're constantly getting intelligence about, like, oh, you know, bad guy number one is moving here, and bad guy number two is over there, and they're planning an attack. You're like, yep, just, you know, another day. I, I imagine, like, I can put myself in the shoes of an analyst coming to work and they're like, yep, going to catch up on, you know, the, the Intel feed and, you know, whatever flashes come out. And it's like, yep, just another day, like yep. threat warnings and imminent attack or attack going to occur. It's like you, you, you bec- it becomes the norm and you lose. Fa- it's basically like mission creep. Yep. If you think about it. Yeah. Like it is literally exhausting every single day, seeing the same thing. And then when something does happen, you know, it's easy to point the finger and be like, well, you guys had all this intelligence and all this heads up yep. and, you, and you didn't act. It, it's so easy to criticize in that way, but also remembering like they get intelligence reports probably like by the hour about an impending attack or some, you know, high level leaders movements and a massing of here and rockets stored at this building or whatever. It, it's exhausting. Yeah. You, you can't focus. Yeah. And, and uh, to kind of circle back to uh, Cowboy Dan's point on the OPSEC, like, absolutely, like, credit where it's due. Uh, this, this, the scale of this attack was significant, right? But the complexity was not. Like, this was not a, uh, a very complex, it was a, a bunch of foot soldiers. Uh, obviously, you've got some infiltrations by air with the paragliders. You've got some attempted infiltrations by sea. But by and large, this is guys in civilian clothes, civilian vehicles with unsophisticated weapons, right? RPGs, AK-47s, light machine guns. Uh, so, you know, the, the intelligence warning of, you know, Hamas is moving people and weapons around, that is just another day at the office. Yeah, that's yeah. not even intelligence, that's an assumption. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah they, they are doing that for sure. Yeah, they always do yeah. that. The enemy is doing what they always do. Yeah. Um, and Maverick, I, I, might, I might disagree with you a little bit there for the, for the complexity there. I think for a terrorist organization with limited resources in a confined geographic area, they basically like 
bad guys equivalent of combined arms. Like you had an initial rocket salvo that they knew would cause people to shelter in place. Yep. Which opened the air window for the paramotor guys to come in. And the and the light infantry that came in, like that was coordinated, like, you know, pulling up construction equipment to tear down the fence and using satchel charges to, to blow holes. Like honestly, from like a terrorist standpoint, that was impressive. Like we have never seen that complexity of like even ISIS. Like, yeah, they had some limited capabilities, but like air, land, and sea combined arms basically for a terrorist organization, like it's it's impressive. I, I yeah, I don't disagree with you. Um I think the the danger that we fall into is thinking that terrorists are morons. Mm-hmm. Right? Because this is yes, it's complex, but when you break it down, it's basically a series of small operations synchronized in time. Yeah. So as long as you've got guys with stopwatches, you know, cell number one, you're the the charges and construction team you don't have to care about whatever anything else is going on and really because they after that initial uh breach and infiltration what were their orders cause as (laughs) cause as much havoc as possible right like kill as many people as possible before you're killed and that's what they did like that is not in my mind that is not a complex operation beyond the scale which is something we haven't seen before and i think it's not as much as they're like Saying that they're morons, I think. I think more that what surprised me was the was the logistic lift for this, like the amount of equipment, weapons, manpower, you know, all those rockets. Like that's a huge stockpile. That's what surprised me the most. It is, and and yes, it, it is definitely a logistics problem. Um, and and I don't know if have you guys seen a number on how many uh, Hamas terrorists were involved in that initial assault. I, I've seen ranging numbers, uh, Maverick, from 800 to upwards of 2,500. So I, yeah. don't think, I don't think we have a good estimate right now. Yeah, and, um, and so that's, that's kind of what I was looking for, is that right there, to Hitman's point, that right there is the impressive part of this, is that you've got that number of guys, and OPSEC-wise, there was not a significant indication of what was to come. Mm-hmm. Right, loose lips sink ships, and... They pulled it off, uh, their ability to pull this off. Um, senior leaders aside, you've got all those guys. And that's why I think it was probably highly compartmentalized. You know, you've got, yep. you've got a dozen guys whose job is to ram fences with bulldozers. Cool. Yep. That's all they know, and they don't, they're not read into anything else that's going on. So even if they tell their families, and their families tell you know, whoever who tells an Israeli informant, Israel goes, cool, they're going to they're gonna vandalize some barriers. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I wanted. I also wanted to circle back. Sorry, am I dominating the conversation? Tell me if I am. No, no. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna jump in real quick. Please do. I think something that I think you know might be an intelligence thing is like maybe they did have credible reporting, but it was so like it was just so extreme that they're like, "There's no way this could happen." Right. This is like briefing that most dangerous co of like nuclear exchange. You're like, there's no way this would happen. Yeah. Like, there's no way they could amass this many soldiers and do this complex of an attack. Maybe they did have the intelligence and they're like, this, like, this is just not feasible for an organization of that size. Yeah. It's, it's the, uh, it's the, there's no way that they could pull this off sort of mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Or, or it's just a, even a cognitive bias that they had all the information, but they just didn't put together that this could all happen synchronized the yeah. way it did. Yep. Yeah. Um, 
Cowboy Dan, you brought up uh, Lebanese Hezbollah. You want to talk a little bit about that and some of the concerns here? Yeah, I, I do. Um, I think it goes back to the whole, you know, ongoing conversation of how much Iran did or did not know. Um, I think they. I think my my assessment. Let me like say this before I say anything about Hezbollah, because this will kind of set the for where, what my opinion on Hezbollah is. Is that Iran knew something was going to happen. They they supply Hamas their high level training, most of their funding. You know what I mean? So yep. there's no way that they didn't know something was going to happen. Yep. Did they know everything? Also, probably not. Um, you know, at the end of the day, Hamas, a Shia or excuse me, a Sunni organization, they're still going to keep their cards closed whenever they talk yep. to Shia based Iran. So yeah. there's that. Um, as for Lebanese Hezbollah, I think, you know, there are reports that uh, senior Quds Force leaders uh, have been in Beirut recently. Um, mm. Working, working with them, and I think this this conflict does nothing but help Hezbollah. Right? This just drains yep. Israeli military resources. Um, I think the key thing that I see is that Lebanon as a whole, to include Hezbollah, does not want a major Israeli war to happen in Lebanon again. Like they don't want that. Like that is not Lebanon or Hezbollah's interest. Right. That is key to bring up. They're much yep. more calculated than Hamas is. They're in, in a, and I'm gonna make, again say an opinion here. They're far less radical than Hamas. Yeah, I would even, agree. Even historically, um, the thing that I see here that I'm sure is on the front of everyone's brain is that if Iran and Hezbollah wait long enough for you know, let's call it 40 percent of Israel's ground forces to be in Gaza. And then launch an operation against northern Israel, even if it's a purely long range attack. Um, this is where this could spill out of hand immediately. Yep. Um, that's where I, I, I'd like y'all's opinion on. You know, again, I, I still think the master in behind the shadows is Tehran. Um, and what do you guys think that their end goals could be on this? Um, that's kind of my quick thoughts on Hezbollah. I, yeah. Uh, Hitman, do you want to take that one first while I formulate my thoughts? Yeah, so I think uh, I think it is in Iran's best interest, not as much as a like ideological standpoint to support Hamas, but more to keep Israel destabilized, because we've seen Israel's capabilities right with striking Iranian facilities and their nuke program and Stuxnet and all the all the other shit that we probably don't even know of. So I think it's in Iran's best interest for them to get a breather in whatever they're doing to turn Israel's attention away from them and onto Hamas. Basically yeah. give them like a minute to, you know, catch their breath and, you know, conduct whatever, you know, movements or research or fielding of whatever they might be developing, whether that's, you know, military capability or, or just getting breathing room economically from, from Israel. If they keep Israel destabilized, it's a win-win for them. Yeah, and uh, that, that, that helps uh, kind of frame what I was thinking, trying to put into words here is we've talked a lot on this podcast about the asymmetric cost advantage, right, of uh, rockets versus Iron Dome interceptors, right? That's a that's a cost mm -hmm. advantage, uh, and so I think, from a purely just financial resources standpoint and weapons resources standpoint, all of this is in Iran's interest because yep. this is forcing Israel to expend weapons, money, and Israeli lives against, frankly, a a group that. that Iran only cares about Hamas because they do damage to Israel, right? 
Yeah. Uh, so I think all of this is in their interest because now every precision guided weapon that Israel spends killing terrorists is a weapon that they can't spend on Iran down the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, to the greater point, I guess the risk of spillover. Um, I've seen a lot of you know panicked talks about you know the Middle Eastern, the Great Middle Eastern War that's about to kick off. Uh, don't give that a ton of credit. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I think it's unlikely that it's going to be a major confrontation because, like to Cowboy Dan's earlier points, like the Abraham Accords have been good for the Middle East. Yeah, you know, are they good for the Palestinians? Are they good for Hamas? It uh, depends on who you ask, right? Yeah. But it has kept an uneasy peace. I think that's something important to remember is like, yes, we're not an open conflict and no, we're not Kumbaya. Yeah. But an uneasy peace, you know, it, it's, it's something, right? Because you're looking at thousands of years of basically a blood feud in this region between not just the, you know, the, the Jewish people and the Muslims and the, and the Christians, like nobody fucking likes each other. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, Iran fucking hates Iraq. Like, the Syrians fucking probably hate someone. Like, KSA is just over there fucking kicking back with oil <laughs> money and watching the, the world burn. But they're, they're involved. They have, a, they have a, you know, a stake in the game. Yep. So it's like, hey, I don't think it's in anybody's best interest. Because you know what the last time happened when they formed the Arab coalition? Yep. <laughs> the fucking ball stomped by Israel. <laughs> yeah. In six days. Yeah. And, you know, major territory gains for the Israelis. So I think they... Those countries recognize. Also, let's address the elephant in the room. Like, there is, I think, a common idea that Israel does have nuclear weapons. They've never acknowledged it. But when you put, push someone against the wall and you're like, hey, this is, we're going to destroy your country and your people, like, you would be really fucking stupid to invade a country. They're like, well, we might have nukes. We might not. Like, <laughs> yeah. Do you want to yeah. take that gamble? Like, do you want, you know, your, your capital city flattened? By nuclear weapon. Yep. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They uh they call it the Samson option. That's the the rumored term in popular culture. Um, mm-hmm. and that's you know in reference to Samson bringing the pillars down, killing himself, but bringing the pillars down on the uh, was it the Philistines in the Bible? And yeah. that's the idea is that Israeli nuclear weapons. It's one of those you guys want to wipe out the Jewish people. Well, we'll give you what for on the way out. Yep. Um. Yeah. And I, I think another interesting piece here that. As uh, you know, you've mentioned Saudi Arabia. Uh, one we haven't talked about in the region is Turkey, right? You've got, I would say, really mm-hmm. four major power players in the Middle East, uh, and that's going to be Iran, Saudi Arabia, Turkey, and Israel. And uh, they all have these conflicting interests, and so each one kind of plays off of other conflicts to elevate their own stature. What do you guys mm-hmm. think Turkey's role in all this is? Not saying, not not alluding to it, any Turkish involvement in the planning of the attack. I just want to be clear on that. But so I think yeah. uh, I think Turkey is largely focused right now. I've seen the footage coming out of bombing uh, the Kurds. I think that's they're really <laughs> tied up with that. It's their favorite pastime. <laughs> no, <laughs> not yeah. that they haven't been before, but I think the bombing in uh, Ankara. Mm-hmm. really kicked the hornet's nest with, with the Turks. And there's been an, an, like a huge air campaign uptick uh, targeting uh, Kurdish elements in northern uh, Iraq and Syria. I think they might have their hands full with that and might not be so much focused and on would, Israel. Yeah, I, I, would, I would completely agree, Hitman. The other important part to remember in this is that while President Erdogan 
has been a long supporter of the Palestinians publicly. Uh, Turkish intelligence, MIT, and Mossad have a very publicized, good, positive relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and Turkey has historically purchased military uh, munitions from Israel. Yep. Uh, you know, a broader conflict is not in Turkey's interest. Turkey trusts Iran less than anyone else. Yeah. <laughs> so I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, while I don't think we'll see a lot of public support for Israel from Turkey, um, I think that they, if they're, if they're going to pick a side in this, it is, it is stabilization, and it is probably more so on the Israeli side when we look at Turkey's economic interests especially as Turkey is trying to bid for F-16 upgrades from the United States yep. and wants to seek less of a reason to try to piss Washington off. Mm. And I think, uh, you know, one thing, it's if, if, if you can count on Turkey to do anything, it's going to be to do what is in their best interest. Yep. And, yeah. and so... Country on Earth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a squirrely bunch of bastards over there. And so I, to the, to the point about bombing the Kurds, I could see them absolutely taking advantage of the... The noise in the news cycle of what's going on between Israel and Hamas to mm-hmm. to execute some of their more controversial options, maybe some mm-hmm. uh, some some options that you know kill a little, few more civilians or whatever to increase their standing in the region, uh, or at the very least decrease the power of uh, the Kurds and, and other players in the region. Yeah, I, I think that's certainly an option, and I think that they're not the only ones they're going to take you know, the international and American eye, for that matter, away from Palestine. You know, I don't want to dive us into another rabbit hole, but yeah. everyone's, everyone's looking at the war in Ukraine, right? Yeah. Um, Ukraine's come out strong support of, uh, of Israel. Yep. Um, I think there's a lot of motivations for that. Yep. Uh, but I also think that, um, to your point on Turkey, and probably multiple others are going to try to make their moves now, while focus is on, is on Gaza. I completely agree, and that's actually what was going to kind of be my next question for you guys. Because uh, yes, this was a this is a a Hamas Israel focused episode, uh, but all these things are interconnected these days. And so, uh, in the past week, we've seen you know much less reporting on what's going out on in Ukraine. Uh, at the same time, you've also seen uh, massive Russian casualties in their attempt to take uh, yep. Ab- Abkiva. Am I pronouncing that right? Uh, I think that's right. Or Obdivka. yeah. Um, you know, potentially up to a couple of brigades worth of casualties, massive equipment losses, trying to take that town from the Ukrainians. Um, so, what is your thoughts for both of you on uh, kind of what how this impacts the fight in Ukraine? Um, I'll uh, I'll take a stab at this. I'm gonna I'm gonna turn for my own temperament and for just for our listeners. I'm not gonna talk about U.S. Support. I think that's a whole other conversation about you know the House of Representatives right now. Yeah. You know, without a speaker and like where does aid go? Blah blah blah. Like we could go on for for hours and hours about that. Yeah. I think what um what the conflict in Gaza means for the war in Ukraine is um I think that you're going to start to see uh, Ukraine try to shore up their gains uh, maybe a little bit quicker. Than what was expected. Um, they're looking at the international aid fund. Uh, let's just come out and be honest. Like their offensive did not have the result. Yep. Um, and so uh, it wouldn't surprise me. We're coming up really, really second week of November is when when 
weather gets shitty in that part of Ukraine. Yep. Um, and so this is this is my opinion is the way that this impacted is hey, there's another international conflict where where focus is right now. We need to sure up our gains, uh, and we need to do it quickly. Um, as the Russians, to your point, Maverick, are already starting their fall slash winter event. Yep. Continue to attract the Russian army. Take what take what you can. Uh, allow U.S. tactics and other new advanced weaponry to fall in and get ready for a renewed spring offensive. Um, so, long story short, I think that this might end Ukraine's ground offensive a little bit quicker. Just when we look at international support for the cause uh, and already what has and has not happened on the battlefield. Yeah, and that's a good point because sadly, you know, a lot of a lot of international opinion is driven by populations, obviously, and populations have brain, right? It's squirrel, squirrel. Uh, people can only kind of put their focus on one thing at a time. And I've already seen massive shifts in uh, social media, Twitter accounts that are normally very focused on what's going on in Ukraine uh, and very good reporters of that. And then all of a sudden now it's only Israel focused. Um, so that's just less news getting out. And uh, so I think you're going to see a lot of countries kind of uh, slowing down a little bit um, their popular support because this is another, uh, you know, just another issue on the horizon. And so now they're going to be distracted by two issues. You've got Israel and Ukraine, um, both Western, I would say, allies loosely with, with regards to Ukraine. But um, that is an interesting point, though, about slowing their offensive and preparing for Russia's offensive uh, that I hadn't really considered. Hitman, any thoughts? Yeah, I think you make a good point that, you know, one part of me is like, all right, like the countries that are supporting Ukraine are large enough and rich enough that they can keep their focus on two different things at once. Like they don't have to be focused on just one or the other. But I think I also agree on the side where it's like, Hey, there's there's like a limited amount of manpower, especially when you're talking in politics in the political system. Mm-hmm. Like just thinking about how long it takes to pass these bills, and the discussion that has to happen before it even gets passed, and the time, and the resources, and the manpower to just agree on something. Multiply that by two, and now you're looking at what you know major political factions in these country Western countries have to deal with. Yeah, like it's not as simple as like just hit the you know the aid button, right? It's it's a debate for days or weeks, back and forth about the amount and what we're sending and when and what can it be used for. I think that's going to put a huge strain on the political, basically, machines of, of Western countries to figure this out and come to an agreement and then enact, you know, whatever the decision is. Yeah, and uh, I just want to kind of comment on one thing you said about countries being rich enough to do two things at once. Yes. Uh, I agree. Um, however, and what we've what we've seen with aid to Ukraine, and really, it's a, it's impacting U.S. stockpiles specifically. That's just what I'm familiar with. Um, to the point that the U.S. does not have the manufacturing capability right now. I'm going to caveat that they are they are increasing that military industrial complex again. The uh, the drumbeat of war is increasing. However, there's a lot of conversations going on. Uh, several several U.S. military leaders have come out and said war with China is coming, not it might be coming. Um, and they are commenting that that is going to be a, a reality in the next, you know, three to five years. And so every, yeah. you know, every bit of weapons that we send, whether it's to Israel or Ukraine, that is from our own stockpiles that we can't have or we don't have to spend on China down mm-hmm. the road. 
Um, and so I think that's part of the the concern that a lot of people have uh, with the the aid shipments. And then the other yep. the other just and this is just bizarre world that I don't understand is there's a lot of people who support sending aid to Ukraine who don't support Israel. And then contrary to that, there's a lot of people who support Israel who think aid to Ukraine is, you know, corruption and funding uh, Zelensky's private yachts and stuff. It's, it is very strange to me that these are not uh, ideologically aligned issues in the, in the yeah. American population. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it, it's just one more thing that shows the problem with our media cycle uh, and the politicization of it. Um, the, the best points I've heard out of any lawmaker, and you know, there's a few that have said it now, but roughly the U.S. is spending around five to six percent of its military budget, not our overall budget, military budget on aid to Ukraine, mostly in the form 50-50 uh, between uh, weapons and uh, humanitarian and in return, we are attributing the world's second largest military yes. without a single U.S. live. Okay, yep. that is for some reason highly controversial. Yeah, um, in a population that likes to think of itself as budget and future leaning. Yep. Um, so I think where you where we're losing the U.S. populace and where we're losing some of the international populace is the America first mentality. Yep. Mm-hmm. But. Where I think a lot of people in the United States don't understand is, first of all, um, globalism and like how free trade in the world work. And secondly, that <laughs> and I laugh when I say this, but like people don't seem to understand that, like as the world hegemon, which I'll call us that for now, yep. um, is that we are dependent and our world power and our prowess and our dominance depends on our ability to not only hold our allies close but to beat down our adversaries. And so, in, in my opinion, you know, we are getting an absolute bargain for that. But in the U.S. news cycle, the idea is if the money's not going to you, then it's wrong. Yeah. Uh, that's just simply, it's not that. It's not that. No, it is not. I've, I've used that exact uh, line of logic generally to success uh, with people who oppose aid to Ukraine to explain that to them, you know. Uh, there's, you know, there is uh, or was an increased risk of war with Russia uh, prior to their invasion of Ukraine, and that risk of a, a NATO-Russia war has gone down exponentially, contrary to a lot of people's opinions, because I think Russia's learning the hard lesson. They can't even beat Ukraine. Yes, Ukraine has NATO backing and NATO weapons, but it's being fought by the Ukrainian people, and Russia can't even win that. How can the world world do they think they can win against just i mean fuck poland alone right <laughs> right um and so that's a that's a very good point and sadly uh yeah that america first uh i mean i i dm'd a presidential candidate who is very against <laughs> aid to ukraine um uh, i dm'd him and i was like hey i i just want to talk to you and explain what this actually is doing because I don't think your advisors are explaining it right and, and what we're getting for our money here. Hopefully they listen. Uh, he didn't respond. <laughs> <laughs> what, is, what is this, two drunk idiots? What the fuck <laughs> is this page? Yeah. We had, if, I mean, if we got him on the podcast, that would explode our viewership. I mean, shit. Yeah. Come join. Yeah. Um, what else do you guys have while we're, while we're on this, while we've got us all in one room together? on ukraine on israel 
anything else? I mean, we talked about a lot of significant issues here today. We talked about a lot. I, uh, if you don't mind, Maverick, just for any listeners or viewers on audiobook, uh, one that will at least set some background on some of Israel's campaigns. It mainly talks about their intelligence services, targeted killing operations against Hamas, Hezbollah, and against Iran. Um, but it is also a good one that sets the precedent of their their previous ground operations in both Lebanon and Gaza. Uh, and it's called Rise and Kill First. And uh, Maverick, I know, mm. I know you checked well, it out. Yeah. yeah. But uh, it's a great book. And if people want to try to get smarter on all of this, um, it's a long listen, a long read, but it's well, well worth it. It explains a lot of the nuances that you otherwise might not understand. And it's not even necessarily pro-Israeli. Uh, it, it covers a lot of the bad shit that happened and a lot of the mistakes they've made. So it's uh, it's an interesting thing to check out. Yeah. Uh, I didn't want to cut you off there because you were pretty passionate. Um, <laughs> actually, after you recommended that to me, I plugged it on one of our episodes, earlier episodes, because oh, nice. I completely, I wholeheartedly endorse that book. It's phenomenal. It is, I would say it's the uh, the Israeli equivalent of Relentless Strike in terms of the the access the author has into uh, what has otherwise been classified in very uh, uh, secretive operations, um, but he's a it's an a Israeli investigative journalist who writes it. Uh, he is not, you know, necessarily pro government, pro Israeli in that regard. He's he's just a very well balanced discussion um, and does a good job. And unfortunately, it ends. I think the book was published in 2018, um, yep. so it I mean it misses a lot of uh, frankly very significant recent events. Um, but uh, I will be curious. I'll be keeping an eye on his uh, publishings in the next months or two to see if he comments more on what's been going on. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, man, what do you got? Uh, just looking at a picture here of uh, leaflets being dropped in Gaza mm. telling uh, people to evacuate. Yep, and and that's that they're gonna it, start bombing. Well, they already are, but yeah, you know what I mean. Well, and actually, that's, that that does bring up. I know you mentioned the roof knocks earlier, but um, you know the Israeli military is one of the, the few militaries in the world that gives up the element of surprise or uh, strategic <laughs> advantage to mitigate civilian casualties. Um, yep, you know they're they're literally telling uh, Hamas functionally, we are going to to be coming here. Um, and they're doing that to let the civilians get out of the way as best they can, which credit to them. Uh, I know it's going to be a logistics slog for uh, you know, a couple million people to move around and get out of there. But um, credit to them for trying, uh, at least making the attempt before they yep. uh, increase their air campaign and, and start their ground campaign. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, well, gents, this has been a, a very good episode. Uh, Cowboy Dan, thank you very much for giving up some time on your Saturday. Yeah, um, really appreciate it. Uh, Hitman, also thank you. I know you were uh, out questing today, <laughs> <laughs> so I appreciate you uh, giving up some time with uh, some social activities to make this happen. Yeah, this is this is important nah, I to think talk this about. Was a, yeah, yes, good. I think good good topics posted here, and you know, back back and forth is good. We're not. We're not echo chambering each other as much as you know. Uh, I, would, I would like to avoid. So it was good that we had some force there back and forth. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's good to things and, and get people's thoughts on it. So I'm I'm happy with how this went. Me too. Really happy with it. Um, we need to Cowboy Dan. Love having you on. 
Um, you are the smartest guy we know. And uh, really appreciate I it. Love it. I always love talking about this stuff with people who care and who can have a balanced opinion. So appreciate it, guys. Yep. All right. Well, uh, with that, this is Maverick, Politically Charged Mischief. Uh, thanks for listening, folks. Hitman, you got anything else you want to say? Rounds complete. Thanks, man. Cowboy Dan, final thoughts? Out here. Yeehaw, y'all. Thanks. Yeehaw. Peace <laughs> out. All right. Thanks, listeners. Peace. Peace. I got to go take a massive dump. <laughs> Been holding this thing in all episode. Keep that recording. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. We'll do it. Peace, boys. See ya.